to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. So this morning, the title of my message is When You, When You. Pray with me, I need God's help. Father, we thank you that you're here already, that you're moving, that you're breathing life into people, that you're refreshing us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Would you open up our hearts to hear, God, really hear your word and to be changed by it, God? Would you overshadow me and all of my frailties, God, and help me, Lord. Help me to articulate the word you've given me for these next few moments. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. amen. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six. I'm gonna start in verse one and read a few verses. Are you ready for the word of God? Say yes. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your... Left hand, know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for the Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Verse 16, when you fast... Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that you, it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, there's about 28 sermons in here, okay? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna preach about 90 pages of notes and we'll be out of here right on time. But no, there's something really foundational, something elemental, something beautiful that the Lord wants to do through our text this morning. And as I prayed into this, there's, there's a warning throughout the text that we pick up, but there's also... There's also something wonderful. It's what I would call like a set of vital signs, okay? You know, I was a nurse for a long time, and so um, I, I like to, you know, use my medical mind still a little bit. So there's certain vital signs in the life of a believer that say, yes, this person is alive spiritually. So we're gonna get a set of vital signs this morning um, along with a warning. But just to give you some context, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the Mount, we could probably do three months in the Sermon on the Mount, 
It was Jesus' magnum opus. It was, his, it was the height of his ministry, the height of his popularity, and he's preaching on a hillside. He's using the, the topography as like an amphitheater to amplify his voice, and he's preaching this magnificent sermon. It was, it was revolutionary teaching. It was revolutionary then, it's, it's revolutionary now. Jesus is, is, is beginning to paint this picture of an entirely new kingdom. And, and that life in his kingdom, life in my kingdom, Jesus is preaching, is, is completely against all of our human instincts. Jesus is preaching that his kingdom is upside down. He's teaching that in his kingdom, love rules instead of hate. That mercy rules over revenge. That humility and lowness of spirit rule over the rich and powerful. It was completely revolutionary and contrary to the times that he was living in. Imagine how contrary it is in 2018. I'm sorry, I yelled so much at Susicle that my vocal cords are, are shot. So listen, within the text this morning, Jesus is gonna paint a picture for us in these next few moments of what a standing structure in his kingdom looks like. A person who is becoming like Jesus is gonna look like these certain areas, but he's also gonna give us a heart check this morning. This, this one text, um, the, it would test the hearts of people for the millennia, and, and scholars are still pouring over it today. The spirit of God this morning is gonna call us closer to Jesus. Spirit of God is gonna call us to be more like him, calling us to go deeper into the way of Jesus. Are you ready to unpack the text? Say yes. 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 um, Verse one. Be careful not to practice, say practice with me, practice your righteousness. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. So here's my first thought if you're taking notes. Proximity always produces practice. Proximity always produces practice. So proximity just means nearness. It means closeness. Whether it's in space or in time or in relationship, proximity is distance. It means to be close. So we have to listen to what Jesus is saying. There's something tucked into the warning here. He's saying, when you are close to me, you will practice righteousness. When you practice your righteousness, he's saying. So this is assumptive language, and it's going to be all through the text this morning. So there's, a, there's an assumption and a warning in the text. So what he's saying is that those who are connected to Jesus, those that belong to him, those that are citizens in this new kingdom will begin to look and sound and act like Jesus. That's you and that's me. That followers of the way, that Christians will become more and more like Jesus. And that growing up in Christ, the the byproduct of that relationship are certain practices in your life. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Practice righteousness. In the other translations, it says, when you practice charity, when you do good deeds, when you do good deeds. Now, as soon as we start talking about practices and deeds, we all have this inner legalist and our radar starts to go off and say, okay, finally it's time. Pastor Mike is gonna give me the list. He's gonna give me the list of things that I have to do to be okay with God. If I just do this, if I just do this, then I'm gonna be good with God. And that is not what the point of this text or the entire message is today. For the last three weeks, what have we been talking about? 
Three weeks, and then last week was humility. The three weeks preceding was being with Jesus, being with him, knowing him, being intimate with him, staying close to him. There's a picture of the vine and the branches clinging to Jesus, hanging on for dear life to Jesus. And that when you're with him, here's to boil it down to its essence. When you know him, you will become like him. If you know him, you will become like him. Proximity always produces that. How many people in the room have been married for 10 years? How many 20 years? 30 years? Oh, this is getting good. 40. 50. My parents, what's up? There was a sweet couple in the first service. They caught me out. They didn't raise their hand, but they were like, today was their 51st wedding anniversary. So cool. Listen, long-term intimacy changes you, right? So Kathleen and I, we're coming up on 17 years, right? 17. Don't, don't roll your eyes. You're the one. Yeah, 17 years in March, March the 2nd, because I know my anniversary because I want to sleep in the house and not in the garage. But long-term proximity changes who you are, right? Like, so my, my familial background is, is from Spain, and so I like, I like beans and rice and spice. I like hot sauce on my hot sauce, okay? I like the salsa. I like the flavor. Well, I married a Russian girl, okay? And Russians put sour cream on everything, which I don't, I don't know if you know this, but sour cream actually takes the flavor away from the food, okay? But, so, but... When you're, when you're intimate with somebody for a long time, it changes, it changes things. You begin to become one. And so now Kathy really loves tacos. And she liked them, but now she loves them. And I love pierogies, which Spanish people don't eat pierogies. It's just dough with potatoes in it. But if you put butter in there and onions and bacon, come on, say amen for bacon. Okay? So we've been together for a while now, and so we, we, we love the same things. Okay? If you put on a missions video, we will both cry. Our hearts are moved for the same things over time. The things that make, that make her cry, it makes me cry. We finish these other sentences. How many married people, how many times this happened? I'll be driving and I'll see, like, I'll see a billboard for like auto repair. And in my mind, I'm thinking, man, I need to get the oil changed in the minivan. And I won't say it. And she will say it. We need to change the oil in the minivan. And I'm like, get out of my head, woman. That's creepy. (laughs) Creepy time. (laughs) Listen, friends, when we stay close to Jesus, we'll become like him. Proximity always produces practice. What that means is that maturity in, in Jesus, maturity looks like something. Love looks like something. Faithfulness looks like something. It's a process, it's a theological term, it's called sanctification, that's a fancy word, okay? What that means is as we stay close to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, it it changes us over time. It gives us a new identity and we become like Jesus. That's sanctification. We become like Christ and it manifests itself in some tangible ways. When you stay connected to the vine, There's fruit that's gonna come out of your life in in peace and joy and patience and self-control. There are practices that are gonna come out of your life like generosity and prayer and your appetites are gonna change. Proximity always produces practice. Are you awake? Say yes. Yes. 
So it says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. So we can't ignore the warning in the text either, okay? And the warning is, you gotta watch your heart. As you go through this process of sanctification, you begin to build these spiritual disciplines. As you begin to get your sea legs in your walk with Christ, and, and you begin to walk in authority, and you begin to walk with power in your life, you gotta guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. It says, be careful when you practice these things. Don't do it in a way that, that you're doing it to be seen by others. Now, what the verse is not saying is that we should do it undercover and be in secret where nobody sees it. In the preceding verses that we didn't read, it says, you can't, you gotta let your light shine before men. Right. You gotta let it shine. Okay, so we want to be a loving, compassionate, bold witness for Jesus, yes? But we, can, we have to guard our hearts against pride. Pride. Don't do it to be seen by others. Because we all have this in us. We all, we all have this tendency to want just a little bit of the credit, a little bit of the glory, I wish I could get my face on the sign on I-4. <laughs> I'm gonna be somebody. And man, this was real in Jesus' time. He's pushing up against a crooked religious system that was, that was full of pride. And think about it, they didn't even have Instagram. Think about our generation, friends. We don't practice much of anything without posting, right? Look what I made. They're gluten-free, sugar-free, turmeric-infused organic banana pancakes. <laughs> Snap a picture of them with extra oxygen. <laughs> Post. I remember, so we took our kids to the mountains a couple summers ago, and we went up to the Smokies and had a little cabin, and we, we, we hiked. It was an easy hike. I'm not far in the national park, and we went to this waterfall. And there was this like crowd of people. They were like stumbling over each other, all with selfie sticks to get a picture of themselves with the waterfall in the background, you know. And um, and look, I'm not judging because I took a picture of my kids in front of the waterfall and I posted it. Okay, so I'm not I'm not talking down to anybody. But it's like it's just a weird time to be alive, right? That like experiencing something isn't enough. We have to experience it and have like a filtered photograph that then we share with the world. It's just weird. It's a weird time. <laughs> so listen, we're all on this journey to become more like Jesus, but in the, t in the day we're living in, it's really hard not to put our righteousness out there for everyone to see. In the world of self-promotion and self-marketing, right, we all must wrestle with the tension of growing in him while giving him all the credit, all the honor, all the glory, staying small. Are you getting this this morning? So Jesus was pushing up against this hyper-religious, um, um, religi these religious leaders, and they, they ruled the whole society. They controlled the whole society. And they wanted recognition for how spiritual they are. We're gonna, the thread is all through the verse. But listen, in 2018, where we're living right now, we are pushing up against the same spirit of pride. It just manifests itself a little differently, right? So Jesus' teaching is just as real 2,000 years later. Yes? Yes. Let's go to verse 2. So when you give, look at your neighbor and say, when you give. When you give to the needy, 
Do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So there's a whole other sermon right here. But let's start with the assumption. Jesus is assuming this in the, first, in the first few words. When you give, okay? When you are part of my kingdom, you will become a giver, okay? You'll become a giver. Write this down as my next thought. When you give, you wage war on selfishness. When you give, you wage war on selfishness. When you give, okay? So we're just gonna talk about it, Okay? This is not a whole message on giving, so you don't have to like check out early. It's just a point on giving, okay? All right? Because I know it's gonna get tight in the room for the next six minutes or so. In case you're new to the Christian faith, in this book, there are very specific instructions on generosity, on the posture that we're supposed to live with as followers of Jesus Christ, okay? There are very specific instructions on how we're to manage our money, on, on, on what we do with our resources, our money, our time, our talents. There are mandates in here on how we're supposed to treat the poor and on how we're supposed to live a generous life. It's very specific when it comes to our money. God has called us, he's mandated that we put him first, that, that everything that we have comes from him. And so we're supposed to give him the first fruits of it. And he actually spells it out in percentages, which is good because it's the same for everybody. It's 10%, okay? And he says, you're supposed to give 10% because it belongs to him. He doesn't even say, give it to me. He says, bring it to me. Like, like if I gave my keys to Pastor Harry, I gave him the keys to my car, okay? Which is a little Ford. I don't think he'd want to keep it. But then if he called me a week later and he said, hey, man, I want to give you a present. And, he, and, he, and, and I was like, oh, this will be awesome. He pulls up and he gives him my car. Is that a gift? No, he just returned my car, right? Listen, God wants to be first. He wants to bless your finances when you give. It's an assumption that as you, as you, as you grow in this thing with Jesus, you're gonna be generous, you're gonna be a giver, okay? And let me just pump the brakes here for a second. Can I tell you, God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need it. He owns it all. He doesn't need your money. I'm, and, and, and my heart in this point, I don't, I'm not trying to get something from you. I'm trying to give you something. I'm trying to give you a principle that will bless your life, that will radically change your life. Because look, money just has this really weird way of getting into our hearts and disguising itself as God. Setting itself up as God. And this is how. If I just had more money, just had more money, then I'd be free of all these worries. I'd be free of all this stress if I just had more money. But I've preached this before. Some of you are making the money you dreamed about 10 years ago, and it's still not enough money. It's never enough money. It's never enough. But it whispers in your ear and says, if you just had enough of me, if you, you'd be free. If you just had enough of me, you'd be happy. You'd be secure. Matthew 6 says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Anybody ever drive by the Powerball sign right, 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 on, four, right on I-4? Oh, we're gonna get real. You ever drive by that sign and the Powerball's up to like $368 million? And you're sitting in traffic? Don't worry, I don't buy lottery tickets, okay? You don't have to judge me. But 
Who has sat there and said, what would I do with $368 million? I'd buy me an Iron Man suit, and then I'd never have to sit in traffic again, because I'd just fly everywhere. Now, first of all, it's not a healthy thing to do. Fantasy is not what Jesus is into, okay? He wants us to live rooted in the Word of God and be led by the Spirit of God. But many of us have done it, right? Yeah. That spirit of greed is such a liar. It says, it says, if you just had enough of me, you'd never have to rely on God again. You'd never have to trust God again. So when you read about the next millionaire, okay, or gazillionaire that takes his own life, or, or the, the, the next millionaire celebrity that they interview and they've crashed and burned because they're just so hopelessly depressed because money isn't security and money isn't happiness. And look, this is just the truth. We'll say it really plain. Nothing works that greed and selfishness out of your heart like giving stuff away, giving your money away, Right? Nothing kills selfishness like generosity. That's why it hurts so much when you write the check. Most of the people don't write checks anymore. Okay, we'll make it real. So my direct deposit hits on Thursday night. So on Friday morning, I try to, it's, it's, I wanna put God first, okay? So I get up in the morning, and I don't like to set up the auto thing because I wanna actually do it. I wanna like, I wanna, in my quiet time, I'm gonna pull up my account, and I'm gonna click send, and every time it hurts. Right? Like, it's never like, wee, no. <laughs> Woo, right? Why do you think that is? Because there's these little barbs in our heart. And in our heart, what we're saying is, but that's mine. It's mine. <laughs> like little Evelyn, almost 18 months old, the other day for the first time, somebody tried to take something from her, and I didn't even know she knew the word. She was like, mine. <laughs> it's mine. It's my precious. Y'all want it? I know you're waiting for that. <laughs> so there's little barbs of greed in our heart that that's why it's hard to click that button. You have to choose. I choose when I do it. I say, God, I want to be a cheerful giver. You love a cheerful giver, so help me to do this with joy. And that's, it's literally working the selfishness and greed out of your heart when you do it. Listen, we're called into this living relationship with Jesus. This is not about your finances. It's about your heart. And, and look, Jesus was a giver, okay? He gave more than 10%. He gave everything. He stretched out his arms. He said, take it all. Take my blood. Take my life for you. He gave it all. He gave it all. You're never more like Jesus than when you're giving. Not just your money, your time, your resources, your talents, And man, the consumer Christianity has just robbed us. The spectator Christianity that we cr have created, it just robs us. It's robbed us of one of the most beautiful truths in all scripture. Listen, when you give, when you set aside your own desires, when, when you give, you put down your pride. When you give, you declare that God is your source, not your employer, not the stock market. God is your source. When you give, you live out your trust for Jesus. When you give, you are the most like Jesus because he gave everything. When you give, you wage war on selfishness. Amen? Yeah. And don't ignore the warning. Don't make a show out of it, okay? You know, I've seen missionaries do this. Like, I went on a mission trip where he had a photographer that just the whole time just took pictures of him. He's like, I'm giving to the poor. 
right? But look, that's the world we're living in. I'm not saying you can't take pictures if you go on the mission field or if you're serving or whatever, but we gotta be careful. We don't wanna rob God of the glory and, and, and take the purity out of something that we're doing. That's the warning in this, guys. Are you, are, are you hearing me this morning? Say yes. Verse five. So that's when you give. Matthew, uh, Matthew 6, 5. And when you pray, look at your neighbor say, when you pray. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Okay, and a hypocrite, I've taught it before, it's a Greek word, it's from a theater, it means wearing a mask, right? Don't be, like, don't be like the people that are wearing a mask, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners. But listen, let's just go right to the, 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 assumpt, the, the assumptive language here, okay? And I'll give you the next thought. When you pray in secret, you receive his promises publicly. When you pray in secret, you receive his promises publicly. So again, Jesus is painting the picture. He's giving us a schematic. This is what a mature believer looks like, okay? Maturity looks like something. A, a close proximity to me is gonna produce these things in your life. You're gonna become generous and you're gonna become a person of prayer. You're gonna become a person that prays. When you pray, if you stay connected to me, prayer is everything. It's everything. It's everything. Leonard Ravenhill said it this way. And I said it in the first service, I'll say, if you've never read the book, Why Revival Tarries, okay, I don't think there's another book that's had as much effect on my life as Why Revival Tarries, okay, it will, it, it, it's hard, because he's like a heavyweight fighter, every sentence is just like, Kathy's like, why do you, why do you want to read that? I just need that, I want to be punched, again and again, for Jesus, but that's what I need, okay, this is Leonard Ravenhill, this is not Pastor Mike, no man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. He's like rapping. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, few prayers. Many singers, few clingers. Lots of pastors, few wrestlers. Many fears, few tears. Much fashion, little passion. Many interferers, few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. I'll boil it down. Christianity is impossible without prayer. This whole thing is impossible without prayer. So look, Jesus was pushing up against his pride, and it manifested itself in a very interesting way that, that, that they, they lorded their, their holiness and their spirituality over the people, okay? But listen, we're pushing up, it's the same spirit, it just manifests itself different. We're pushing up that same spirit of pride. And I say this with all the love and compassion in my heart, but what we say when we won't pray is that we have better things to do with our time and that we don't really need God. I got this, I'm good. Until the next fire erupts in my life and then I'll fire up the 911. And look, I'm gonna own it. I'm gonna own it. I have had seasons where prayer is, feels impossible. Sleep deprivation, two sets of twins, sick babies. You ever, ever, we have nights as parents where it's like a carousel, one, one kid after another. I have a stuffy nose. I had a bad dream. I just want water. I just wanna be awake at three in the morning, and it never stops. I get it, I get it. There's seasons of discouragement. There's seasons of inexplicable drought in my soul where I feel like I'm just groping in the dark spiritually and I can't find the light switch. Does anybody else ever struggle to pray? Yes. Yes. Listen, Jesus is calling us to be intimate and be close to him, okay? 
And it has to. It has to include times where we just get alone. We need solitude. We need to push away all of the digital distractions from time to time and just talk to him and listen to him and be with him. And he gave us the blueprint and we don't have time to unpack it, okay? I believe the Lord's Prayer is not something to be prayed by rote or, or mechanically, but it's a blueprint, okay? And maybe we'll do a whole nother message on that. But let me, let me take it in a different direction. You know the disciples, okay? In the other gospel accounts, they approached Jesus and they said, teacher, master, rabbi, teach us to pray. You know they never asked him, Jesus, teach us to preach. Jesus, teach us to heal the sick. Jesus, teach us to cast out demons. They never asked for that. They said, teach us to pray. There was something about his prayer life. There was a, there was a dynamic to the way that he prayed. Okay, and Jesus was always praying. If you read the, the, the New Testament accounts, he was constantly, he'd send the crowds away. He'd shut everything down, and he just again and again and again, he would go to a lonely place. He'd go to the wilderness. He'd go to pray, to be alone with the Father. And they watched this causative relationship where he was with the Father, and then dynamic things would happen. He'd raise the dead. He'd walk on water. He'd calm stomp, storms. And they, they said, teach us to pray, Master. And you want to know Why? Listen, because they didn't know how to do it. This is very comforting for us. They were just regular guys. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were nurses. They were construction workers. Whatever you do, okay? They were regular people, and it doesn't come natural to our flesh. So he said, teach us, Lord. This call from God to commune with him, to have fellowship with him, it's all centered around this this discourse with him where we're talking and we're listening and we're, and we're leaning into him. We're, we're, we're clinging for dear life to him. This is everything, beloved. This whole book, the whole story of scripture is, is God responding in a supernatural way again and again to the prayers of his people. It's the whole thing. You cannot miss this, friends. Listen to the invitation from the spirit of God. Meet me in the secret place. Steal away. Call on me. Come away with me. Find a place and I will give you peace. I will pour out forgiveness in your life. I will pour out grace if you go to the secret place. You'll receive power. You'll receive a new identity. You'll receive the promise of an adventure in this life. Purpose. When you pray, I will move. When you pray, I will respond. Listen to Psalm 91. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and her and honor him with long life and I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Look at your neighbor and say, when you pray. And everybody, I don't care who you are, all of us are gonna struggle in this area because we don't know how to do it. Neither did the apostle Paul. He wrote this in Romans 8. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. We don't know how to pray. So just take the pressure off. This isn't like me beating you down and saying, you gotta pray, figure it out. No. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. I would dare to say it this way. If Christianity is impossible without prayer, prayer is impossible without the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that, that leads us along, that drops people into our spirit and says, oh, yeah, you know, 
what's Pastor Harry doing? And then you pray. You pray for him. You pray for his marriage. You pray for his ministry. The Holy Spirit leads us along. There's all this language, walk in the Spirit. The next step with the Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit that teaches us to pray. Ian Bounds said it this way, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or, or more novel methods, but men and women whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men of prayer. When you pray, when you pray, listen, in, in, in this dispensation that we're in, in this reality until Jesus comes back, we have prayer. It's what we have to move the heart of God. And, and, and my next thought, worship team, will you come? Let's read the last section of the text. Are you awake? Say yes. 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 Starting in verse 16. When you fast, look at your neighbor and say, when you fast. Now, it's not when you run fast. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Let's just stop there. Write this down. It's my last thought this morning. When you fast, you will receive breakthrough. When you fast, you will receive breakthrough. So immediately after Jesus is baptized in the Jordan, John the, baptized, John the Baptist baptizes him. The Holy Spirit descends on him. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then he immediately goes into the wilderness to fast. 40 days. If you know the account, he's tempted by Satan, and then he, see, he, he resists Satan, and then he goes into his, his ministry. So Jesus is the blueprint, okay? Jesus fasted. And I want to demystify this as I, we're going to draw to a close in a minute, okay? But, it's, but proximity to Jesus, if you're close to him, it's going to produce these certain practices in your life. And so I know this is a little more teaching than preaching today. But listen, I don't know why God set it up this way, that it has to be food, okay? Because when you talk about fasting, the conversation with a lot of people is like, well, I just don't feel led to fast. I feel led to go to the closest pizza shop because I like pizza, and I like to put bacon on my pizza, a little ricotta cheese, a little spinach, kind of some roasted red peppers. Am I making you hungry? If you're fasting, I'm sorry. I don't know why God set it up that it's pushing away food, but this is the way that he set it up, okay? That he calls us, he calls us for a day, three days, seven days, 10 days, 40 days, as God would lead you, that, that if you wanna draw closer to God, you wanna press into God, that there's something about, about taking your own appetite and just, just nailing it to the cross and saying, you know what, for this time, I'm going to not do that. I'm going to just drink water or whatever, you know, just vegetables or... But listen, when you fast, you will receive breakthrough. Are, are, some of you in this room, you're faced with like a big decision. You're at like a crossroads with a job or a house or a relationship. Can I tell you, over the last... 10 years of my life, 15 years of my life, almost all of the major turns, I would have missed them if it wasn't for the principle of fasting and prayer, of pushing back the plate. 
And we talked about proximity earlier, okay? I can tell you this, that, that, that when I'm in a fast, it's like I can close my eyes and Jesus is like, right, it's like closer than the ceiling. He's right here, the presence of God. I don't understand why he set it up that way. It's just, it's all through his word. Jesus fasted, his disciples fasted. It's a spiritual mandate. It's a principle when you fast. It's the blueprint for the Christian life, friends. And, what I, and again, I wanna make it so clear that this is not a list of, okay, if I, just, if I just give enough money and I just pray enough and if I just starve myself, then I'll do that for God to approve of me. Listen to the heart of God. He, you're already approved. Listen to Jesus. He's saying, I died for you. You're approved. And if you've put your faith and your trust in me, you're fully approved. You're fully justified, that's a legal term. You'll stand before the judge and he'll say, I find no fault, I find no guilt with this one. That you're justified, you're fully justified. You're fully forgiven, it's not a down payment forgiveness where it's a little bit and you better live good or he's gonna squash you. You're fully forgiven. It's been, we can do that for being fully forgiven, come on. But listen, he's calling us deeper this morning, friends. He's calling us higher. He's calling us closer. He's saying, this is, this is the way closer to me. A deeper place of obedience. Where we ask the Holy Spirit to help. So this morning, before we do anything, I just, I don't even want you to move for a second because I know the Lord wants to speak to some of you. Maybe just close your eyes for a moment. Don't move around for just a second, okay? On this first one, on when you give, I can tell you, uh, early, especially early in my walk, I did not trust God with my finances. I was in fear. How could, how could I give away a percentage of what I make? And the Lord, the Lord had to grow me in that. And so listen, if you're in this room, I just pray the Holy Spirit would speak to you. I'm not trying to get something from you, friends. I'm trying to give you something. But the promise in this word is that if you'll trust him with the 10, he'll make the, he will bless the 90 to where you, you, just, you won't have lack. You'll never have lack. And so maybe if you're petrified of 10%, start at 3% and then work your way up. Start somewhere and say, God, I trust you with my money. Maybe prayer for you. Maybe you're one of those person, people, you're more of a contemplator and like you get kind of trapped in your own head when it comes to prayer. This morning, the Holy Spirit is inviting you into a deeper place where if you'll just set the time and you'll ask the Holy Spirit to help, he'll, he'll revolutionize your prayer life. When you pray, Jesus is assuming that, that, that this is the life for us. Nowhere in here does it say that we just pump our heads full of so much information and that then we're like, we're mature in the Lord. There's simple people on a hillside somewhere in Peru or Nicaragua that, that are the most mature saints in the world and they don't have theology books to read. Maybe they only have a few pages of the Bible, but they call on God and they call on God and they call on God and they speak to him and they commune with him and they fellowship with him. And that's the most mature saint, friend. wants to do something in your prayer life this morning. And some of you desperately need a breakthrough. 
Maybe you need a breakthrough in your finances. Maybe things have just been bad for a while. Maybe, maybe it's, you need a breakthrough in your marriage. Things are cold, things are broken, and you need God to intervene. Oh, that the Holy Spirit would challenge you this morning to step in and just climb that hill of fasting. Maybe it would just be for a day. Maybe it would be for three days. And if you need information on fasting, you can email me, Mike V at One Church. I'll send you some links to demystify it for you. It's very pretty simple. <laughs> Spirit of God, would you just breathe on this room right now? You're calling us higher, Jesus. And we hear the warning, God. We hear the warning through this text not to make a show of it. I know that in this church it's evident, God, that you are, you are raising up a generation of world changers, that we are building a multi-generational movement that we're gonna pass on to these young people and our kids and their grandkids, God. Help us, God, as we walk through the move of God not to promote ourselves or try to make one church great or try to put my name in lights, God, or anybody, any of these leaders that we'd promote ourselves, God, help us to heed your warning, God, to stay low and stay small. Would you just stand to your feet for a moment? We're gonna go in just a moment.